thankful for every person that ministers in music, but Scott, I'm just thankful for you because you always challenge me to listen to the lyrics, you know, and he's always singing new songs that I've not heard. And of course, when you hear a new song, it really causes you to tune in and listen to the words and the lyrics. And thank you, Scott, for just uh, being a blessing. I love you, brother. Take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter number two. Good to see you this morning. Everybody wave. Oh, hi, hi, how are y'all? Uh, good to see you. Glad you're here. And uh, we continue our series today. Take out your worship guide that you should have received on your way in. If you didn't get one, you can step out quickly and grab the notes so that you can follow along. Um, the theme of our series, or the title of our series, of course, is Prepare Him Room. And the theme, the overall theme of the entire series is, is what we make room for in this Christmas season will reveal how we define and value this season. What, what takes up the time and the focus of the holidays here right now? Is it, is it a lot of materialistic things, or is it a lot of just busyness things, or is it really focused on thinking about the implications of the incarnation of God and the fact that he became a human being like us? And, and so we're just challenging ourselves in this series to stop, evaluate, uh, why it is that we go through all the motions that we do during the holiday seasons. And, and we're looking at several characters that don't often get a lot of focus in the Christmas story that we all know and love and that we've grown up hearing. And so in the first week, we looked at the character, Joseph. We looked at the life of Joseph, and we saw how Joseph had to make room for obedience. Was he going to trust God? Was he going to obey God? and do what God had called him to do, to be the stepfather of Jesus, to be technically the adopted father of Jesus, and uh, to really uh, trust and obey the Lord. And so we looked at that the first week. The second week, we looked at a group of people called the shepherds, and we saw how they uh, had to make room for a sign. And the angel told them to go and be the first group of people to welcome Jesus into the world. And when they encountered Jesus, they couldn't help but go and share that good news. And so we talked about last week the responsibility that all of us have. But really, it's yes, it's a responsibility, but it's also a great opportunity. That if we really believe that the news of the gospel is that good... Well, we'll share it, won't we? And we uh, pulled out some cards and, and gave everybody an invite card. And I hope you'll take advantage of that opportunity this next week. You still have one week left to be involved in that project and just do a random act of kindness for somebody. It doesn't have to be expensive. It doesn't have to be extravagant. But just something that'll stop someone enough to read that card and hear about the true reason for the season and there's even an invite on there to come to the Christmas Eve service. And so I uh, hope you'll take an opportunity to share the good news, whether it's through that project or through sitting down with someone and sharing with them the truth of the gospel. And so th that's been the first two weeks and what we've looked at. Um, ten days to Christmas Day. Can you believe it? Ten days. Ten days. How many of you knew that already? <laughs> okay, yeah. How many of you uh, are the kind of people that you have the countdown going the day after Christmas? You've got the app and you're already counting down the days. You like Christmas that much. Anybody got the countdown going the day after Christmas each year? Anybody like that? Uh, some of y'all, I know you keep your Christmas decorations up year round. So we know you love Christmas. <laughs> but, uh, and so some of us really do love Christmas and it's hard for us to wait for that big day. Of course, when we were kids, 
You know, we were like, oh, how many days till Christmas? My boys, they're getting very close to the age where they're getting out of that stage, where they don't look forward to it as much, although I still think they look forward to it um, quite a bit. Um, as a boy, I also found it hard to wait for Christmas. One year, my mom and dad will attest to this story. One year, I got so excited for Christmas that my parents um, uh, saw that I was breaking out in hives. And they took me to the hospital because they had thought I had some rare form of skin disease. And the nurse just said, no, he's got hives. He's hyper about Christmas. Do you remember that, Dad? Good memories, wasn't it? He's like, yes, I remember. A lot of stress. Because, <laughs> you know, they didn't know. But, yeah, I was so excited about Christmas that I broke out in hives. Um, and so Christmas is a, is a time that uh, probably more so than any day on the calendar, it's tied to the theme of waiting. Um, we're, we're always planning towards it. We're working from it. And so waiting is, is a theme that is tied to this um, holiday of Christmas. Waiting is something that we not only find, find, found tied to things like Christmas, but we also find ourselves waiting in other areas of our lives. Um, perhaps some of us in here are waiting on God to bless our family with a child, or we're waiting on God for that, for that physical healing for someone that we know, or we're waiting on God in a, in a season of singleness to bring uh, along a spouse, or maybe we're waiting on God for that job promotion or financial blessing that we feel we desperately um, need. All of us know, I think, to some degree, what it means to wait, don't we? We've all had to wait for different things in our life. And, and in our study today, we look at the life of a man, another character here in the Christmas story, who had been waiting his entire life to see the Messiah. Um, and so through our study today, we're going to learn many valuable lessons about what I think it means to wait, what God might be doing in those waiting seasons, and how Jesus fulfills the deepest longing of a waiting heart. And so we're going to look at the man named Simeon today. So turn to Luke chapter 2 in your Bibles. If you don't have a copy of Scripture, uh, you can pull it up on your phone, Luke chapter 2. We're going to be studying today verses 25 through 35. Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 35. And so let's read the first couple of verses here, and then we'll stop and we'll get to all the other verses here in just a moment. But Luke chapter 2, verses 25 and 26. Let's read those together. It says... And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same was a just and a devout man. Now, wouldn't that be great to have that kind of testimony? When people thought of your name, they thought, oh, there goes a person that is just and devout. Um, and this was Simeon. He, he was a man who had a great testimony. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, that phrase is interesting because the word consolation means comfort. And so literally, he was waiting on the comfort of Israel. He was waiting on this promise of a Messiah that he had read about in the prophets. And so they were, all the Jewish people at this point, were waiting for a Messiah. They were waiting for this political deliverer, this, this earthly king who would overthrow the Roman Empire and their oppression and would free them politically and nationally, that they would finally have their freedom back so that they could enjoy peace. And so Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting for the Messiah. And it says the Holy Ghost was upon him. 
So this was a man who had a deep regard for God's word. He was obviously working in the temple. He was a part of the, uh, he was a part of the priesthood, and he was a part of what went on there. And notice verse 26. It says, And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, before he had seen with his own eyes the Messiah. Talk about a gift. Talk about a promise that the Holy Spirit had made to Simeon that he would meet Jesus physically, personally. The problem for Simeon is, is he didn't know when that was going to happen. He didn't know when, so he was waiting. He was waiting on God. And as I asked you earlier, what are we waiting on in our lives? I, again, I think we all know what it means to wait to some degree. We all know what it means to wait in the Chick-fil-A line. Can I get a witness? I mean, we all know what it means to wait in the line at Chick-fil-A. Or we all know what it means to wait in traffic on a Monday on 565. Right, Brother Rodney? I mean, we all know that's the reality. Um, we all know what it means to wait in the doctor's office. How many of you just love to go to the doctor's office and wait for hours? Nobody. I mean, we all know what it means to wait. But Simeon isn't just on waiting on something ordinary. He isn't just waiting, you know, for that next Chick-fil-A sandwich or, or waiting to see the doctor. He's waiting for the thing that the Jewish people have been looking for for hundreds of years. I don't know about you, but when I know that something big is coming up in my life, it's really hard to wait. Imagine the thoughts that were going through his head as he had been given this promise. And we don't know how many years he had had to wait. We get the idea from the text that he was an older, older gentleman. I mean, well on up in years. Maybe he had struggled with doubts about the promise. Maybe he thought, wow, God, you gave me this promise 50 years ago. Again, we don't know how long. But maybe he had struggled and said, God, are you going to come through? Are you going to make good on your promise? No one likes to wait on something significant. Why? Why is that? Well, let me give you this first truth, I think, as we uh, start to think about and try to place ourselves in the shoes of Simeon, so to speak. Isn't it true that waiting is difficult because there's a weight within the weight? So that's the first blanks that you can fill out there in your notes. There is this weight that happens within the weight. What do I mean by that? There's often a burden that we carry during those seasons of waiting. We carry a burden. We all understand this. Certainly, Simeon and the Jewish people carried the weight of understanding God's prophecies and promises, but yet they were in the circumstance of Roman rule and oppression. And so, undoubtedly, the Jewish people were under the weight of seeing the circumstances that they were in and then reading the Old Testament and the prophecies and trying to put together, okay, God, you, you're, you're talking about this, but yet I'm in this. How many of us have ever been there? You know, you hear the phrase in the New Testament, we are more than conquerors through Christ. And you're like, but I don't feel like a conqueror today. I'm struggling in my life. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going through a season where God says there's a better tomorrow coming, but, but my circumstances are very heavy. And so I think that many times we struggle in this season of waiting because there is, there's a weight within the weight. God says in his word in Psalm 27, verse 14, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. What we don't often see, though, in the wait is there, there's activity 
God's activity during the wait. And that brings us to point number two, as we're going to see here in this passage. Yes, there's a wait within the wait, but point number two, truth number two we see in this passage is, is that God works for us in those seasons of waiting. God was working behind the scenes in this waiting season in Simeon's life to bring him to that one pivotal moment that God had promised, that he was going to see the Messiah, that he was going to see Jesus. And so we see this here in Simeon's story. And what we see here is that God's in control. He's working behind the scenes in ways that we can't even fathom. So if we're being burdened down with that weight during the wait, we can trust that God's still working even when we can't see it. And some of us just need to be reminded of that simple truth this morning because you've been waiting a long time. God is in control and he's working in that season of waiting In that seemingly endless season of waiting for God's promises to be fulfilled, God was still at work in the wait. And let me remind us all this morning that just because God seemed silent, it did not mean he was absent. Sometimes we're like, well, God, I can't hear your voice. Where are you? He's right there. He never moved. Never confuse God's silence with God's absence. Never mistake the silence of God with the absence of God. I mean, the nation of Israel had experienced 400 years of silence from any prophets. Malachi was the last. And and so 400 years of dramatic pause, right? Before the word steps onto the stage. We've all been to the plays, haven't we? We just got back from New York City. We saw the big Broadway play, you know, the big Broadway show. And... And it was so amazing to watch how everything moved with perfect choreography throughout that play. I mean, this, I mean, Broadway plays are the thing, right? I mean, the lighting's perfect, the sound's perfect, the special effects are perfect. But through each scene, you had the curtain come down and you could hear stuff going on behind there. And what was happening? The stage was being set for the next scene. What do we see here in this story? We see that there have been 400 years of silence. Simeon had been given this promise, but yet it didn't seem like God was present. Oh, no, he was. He was there. Notice this verse in Isaiah 64, verse 4. It says, For since the beginning of the world men have not heard, nor perceived by the ear, neither hath the eye seen, O God, besides thee, what God has prepared for him that waits for him. God was working in the waiting seasons. Now, here's what's fascinating. When you study history and you study those 400 years of history between Malachi and Matthew, you find out that there was a great um, military leader named Alexander the Great who, who desired to, of course, he conquered the whole known world at that time. And if you go back and study history, it's so fascinating to see how all this comes about. And Alexander the Great, because he conquered the whole known world at that time, he was able to unify the entire known world at that time underneath a common language, Koine Greek. And this is a big deal because if you've heard the name of Jesus, Jesus Jesus in, in, in that whole time period, there was a common language there that allowed the New Testament to be written, Koine Greek, which is the language of the New Testament. And then because of Rome, you had a a standard of of laws that had been set to maintain peace. 
They improved the transportation system so that when Jesus did come, they, they had a Roman road system where people could travel quickly and get news about this to different parts of the world. And they also had a unified monetary system. God had taken each part of the puzzle, transportation, uh, monetary, uh, language, and he had set the stage for 400 years so that when Jesus came on the scene, it would be the best opportunity to get the message of the gospel out. God works for us in the wait. That's why you see a verse like this. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. God was on time. It wasn't on our schedule. It probably wasn't on Simeon's schedule. He's probably, as, as we mentioned, he's older. He's wondering, okay, God, when are you going to show up? But we see this truth that God works for us in the wait. We keep reading. Look at verses 27 through 29. It says here, And he came by the Spirit into the temple, So Simeon is being led by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now let thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. We see here that Jesus is worth the wait. You see here, Simeon meets Jesus We know that God was at work during the wait. He was at work during those seeming years of silence. Yes, we know that the Jewish people were carrying a weight within that waiting season. But we see that God was working and we see that Jesus is worth the wait. Notice some phrases here in these three verses that we just read. Notice it says in verse 27, he came by the spirit into the temple. Isn't that interesting that that Simeon was moved by the Holy Spirit just at this time to go into the temple? We don't know if, if they entered the temple at the same time or in the same door. But God was working to orchestrate this meeting between Simeon and Jesus and his mom and dad and his, and his family. Simeon was sensitive to God's work in his heart. He was in tune to that still small voice of the Spirit. What, what, if, he not, what if he had not been led of the Spirit that, that day? What if he wasn't in tune that day to the still small voice of the Spirit? Can I challenge all of us today that we be in tune to the still small voice of the Spirit in our life? That when God lays on your heart this week to do that random act of kindness for someone, that you'll do it? That you'll take that moment because that could be the divine appointment that God has for you to change somebody's life. Simeon was moved by the Spirit. He came by the Spirit into the temple. And so we don't know at what point, you know, the revelation occurred to Simeon because I'm sure many other families had been into the temple over the span of his life to do according to the custom of the law for, for, for boys born at that point. Obviously, they were going through a rite and a, and, a, and a covenant sign of circumcision. And so we don't know exactly what transpired that gave Simeon this knowledge that this was, in fact, the Messiah. But notice what he says. He says in verse 29, Lord... Now let thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. He's like, sovereign Lord, the Lord who is in control, the one who promised, this is what you promised, you fulfilled it. You are worth the wait. And that's the truth we see here. Jesus is worth the wait. 
Another truth we see here in this passage as we keep reading is this. God is always faithful to do what he says he will do. Look at verses 30 through 32. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people. Now, this is interesting because as you study this passage out, well, I'm I'm jumping ahead a little bit. We'll, We'll come back to that. Notice that he says this is for all people. Now, I thought that the Messiah was specifically for the Jewish people. Notice what it says, verse 32, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. So Simeon here is saying, God, you're always faithful to do what you say that you're going to do. God, you're always on time. You're always sufficient. You're always faithful. But notice, now as Simeon has seen the Messiah, something is happening as he's being led by the Spirit. He's seeing a bigger picture than what he had even thought. Notice that Simeon was waiting on the consolation of Israel. Go back there to verse 25. It says he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. But notice how his language changes now. Now he says, a light for all people, before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles. Simeon was waiting on the appearance of the Messiah and God's promise for a kingdom right then, but that's not what happens. Notice this, and this is an important truth. I don't think it's a part of the notes, but write it down. When Simeon lays his eyes on Jesus, his perspective begins to change. When he sees Jesus, he sees that this salvation is not only for Israel, but it's for the entire world. When was the last time that seeing Jesus changed our perspective? If we keep our eyes on Jesus and look full in his wonderful face, then the things of this world will change in perspective to us. They'll lose their grip. They'll lose their hold. We'll see every person as a soul for whom Christ died. We'll see that it's not about the haves and the have-nots or this special nation or that. It's all people. In thee shall all nations of the earth be blessed. So he sees salvation now at this point, not only for Israel, but for also for the Gentiles, for all nations. Simeon thought he was waiting on a gift for his people, Israel, What he desired wasn't really what he and everyone else, though, needed. And this is the reason that the first century Jew, for the most part, missed it. Because what they thought they needed was a God who would deliver them from their temporary oppression, Roman rule. But what they really needed was a God who would deliver them from their eternal oppression, their eternal oppression, satanic rule. Because Satan had everyone enslaved and in bondage. So Simeon here starts to get the idea. All right, yes, God, you are faithful to do what you say you will do. And now we see the story unfolding. This isn't just for Israel. He's been waiting on what he thought was the Messiah, the deliverer for Israel. And now in his language, because he's seen Jesus, he's now like, whoa, this is much bigger than what I thought. And notice this. This is interesting. Uh, Verses 32 through 35. um, A light to lighten the Gentiles, the glory of thy people Israel. Verse 33. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them 
and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And so Joseph and Mary are hearing this. They're hearing this elderly man in the temple make these statements and these prophecies about their baby. And notice that it says they marveled. I want you to underline that word. This is fascinating. This is the Greek word thalmazo. And there's only one other time in all the Bible where it shows up. In 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 10, at the second coming of Christ. And he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled, admired in all them that believe. Isn't that interesting that at the first coming of Christ, you have that word marveled tied to the advent of Christ. And at the second advent of Christ, when Jesus returns, it's the same word. And only two times in all the Greek New Testament is that word used, thalmazo. God is always faithful to do what he says he will do. Just as he came the first time, he might have came late based on a lot of people's estimation, but he was right on time in the fullness of the time. Just as he came the first time, he will return the second. He's always faithful to do what he says he will do. But that brings us to this because Simeon is seeing this as he's making these statements about Jesus. We see the next truth here in our study, and that is, is what you're waiting on for what you really need. Because notice that Simeon was waiting on a political Messiah. He was waiting on the consolation of Israel. But notice how the moment he saw Christ, his perspective began to change. And he saw, oh, this isn't just for Israel. This is for the entire world. Is what you and I waiting for, is it what we really need? I think that's a question all of us have to wrestle with. What are you waiting on? As we mentioned earlier, are you waiting on a child? Is that, is that what we really need? We, we might think it is. Or are we waiting on a healing, a physical healing? We might think we need that. Are we waiting on a spouse? We might think we really need to be married. Or are we waiting on a financial blessing? The reality is, is we can be waiting our whole lives on those things, but if we're honest... Once we get those things, are we satisfied? The reality is, in any of those situations, it's pointing to something deeper. These things, a child, a healing, a spouse, a financial blessing, those things might satisfy for a season. But will it truly satisfy your and my greatest need? Will it satisfy that greatest need? Because what the birth of Jesus signifies is it signifies the end to our greatest need. That's what the birth of Jesus signifies. That's what we see here in this text. That Jesus is the end to our greatest need. He is the fulfillment of our greatest need. He is what we need. Jesus' birth ended our greatest need. What was our greatest need? Well, all of us live underneath the shadow of death. All of us live underneath the curse of sin. 
And what's so fascinating about this passage, I can't wait to get to heaven and ask Simeon this question because I really do believe he was alluding to a passage here when he says, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And if you have a good study Bible, it might even put this as a cross-reference next to that verse. And it's Isaiah 9, verse 2. What does Isaiah 9, 2 say? Right there on the screen, it says, the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them has the light shined. Of course, this is the famous chapter where in just a few verses in Isaiah 9, 6, it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of his kingdom and rule there shall be no end. Simeon here, I believe, is alluding to this prophetic passage. And what he's saying here is, this isn't just our temporary political need that this Messiah is going to meet. No, no, no. He's meeting something far bigger and deeper than any momentary rule of some empire on this earth. He is going to deal with the problem of all mankind, of all nations, Jew and Gentile. Jesus' birth signified the end to our greatest need because he deals with death once and for all. He passes through the valley of the shadow of death, so therefore we don't have to fear evil because he's the good shepherd and the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep and the good shepherd takes back up his life for his sheep and he ever lives to make intercession for us. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus took care of our issue with death, our greatest need. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness, for his wonderful works to the children of men, for he satisfies the longing soul and he fills the hungry soul with goodness. We've all gotten gifts at Christmas that we thought we needed and we wanted. And you know what? We enjoyed them for a day or a week or a month, and then we were right back to wanting and needing something else. You know what Jesus satisfies? He satisfies the deepest need of a longing, hungry heart. And this verse tells me so. This verse we can depend on, all these truths that we're studying today, we can see that the birth of Jesus signifies the end, the fulfillment of our greatest need. And so the question then is this, or the statement is, without Jesus, you will always be waiting on something that only he can give to you. All of us, to some extent, have gone down that path of pursuit, searching for things that we thought we needed, that we thought we wanted. And we get to the end And we're emptier than when we started the pursuit. The truth of the gospel is, without Jesus, you will always be waiting on something that only he can give to you. And here's my question to all of us today. Aren't we tired of that cycle? Are you tired of that cycle? If waiting and getting things you think you need only to find that they don't satisfy... One prophet says that they're broken cisterns that can't hold water. 
It's like we're trying to carry around this, 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 this water that we think we need, and it's a broken cistern, it's leaking out, and it's not even the water of life. You remember the woman at the well who came to Jesus in John 4? She had been searching her whole life for what she thought she needed. Five husbands, and the guy she was living with wasn't even her husband. And Jesus says, stop your searching. I'm the water of life. If you'll drink from that well, you'll never thirst again. Without Jesus, you will always be waiting on something that only he can give to you. The only place that you and I will ever find full satisfaction is at the cross of Jesus Christ where he fully satisfied the demand for your and my sin. He gave up his life to say that he loves you, that he loves me. Without Jesus, you will always be waiting on something that only he can give to you. So Simeon, Simeon shows us that, yes, many times in this season of waiting, there is a wait that we deal with because of the circumstances around us. But we see that God is at work in the wait. He's at work in the wait. He's setting the stage, and we see that Jesus is worth the wait. God is always faithful to do what he says he will do. Is what you're waiting for what you really need? Because we see that in this story, Jesus' birth signifies the end to our greatest need. And without Jesus, you'll always be waiting on something that only he can give to you. And there in that final verse of our passage, verse 35 today, we get the first indicator that Jesus' life is not going to be what people think it is. Do you see God's love even there in that moment preparing the heart of Mary, his mother? that she was going to have to watch her son die on a cross for the sins of the world and the sins of her own heart and life. And we see that Jesus' life was going to be about much more than just a temporary political military oppression. It was going to be about setting people free from their sin, giving them new life in him. And so, if you don't know Christ today, I invite you to stop the tireless search and find that in Christ, he's your greatest need and he fulfills it. Without Jesus, you'll always be waiting on something that only he can give to you. But if you know Christ this morning, then the question is this, how do we wait well? How do we wait in those seasons that we often find ourselves in, waiting for what God has promised. I know this is going to sound like it's blanket statement and probably church cliche, but, but the reality is this is the truth. How do we wait well? By realizing that Christ is all that we need. That's how we wait well, by real, realizing that Christ is all that we need. You might say, well, I know that, Really? You know, just because you and I know Jesus as our Savior doesn't mean that we don't place our hope in other things. God, if you would just do this, I would be more happy. God, if you would just do this, I would be more fulfilled. God, if you would just do this, I would be a more complete person, God. What we're saying in those moments is, God, you're not enough. I need more. 
And that's the lie of the world. That's the lie of a lot of man-made religion. God's not enough. Jesus isn't enough. You need more. And so, just because you and I might know Jesus doesn't mean that we haven't slipped into placing our hope in other things. What are you hoping for today? Let's pray this morning.